Say that the podcast for your big questions get real answers, or this week where your big questions got real answers. Uh-huh. We'll get to that in a minute. Here, my name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Join me here, the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. I'm under protest always. Joining us also, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Why always with the fighting, Glenn? Because it's just not real. Standards have slipped, and I like the old-fashioned, traditional. Say that podcast. Ah. I would only quibble with the part of that word implies we had standards to begin with. I like grandmas say that podcast <laughs> the way it used to be. When sure. it used to come in over the Victrola. That's true. We'd all gather around. Yeah. It was FDR and then the say that podcast. Absolutely. We are not joined by one of our regular co-hosts, one of the pastor Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Um, that's actually not Lee's fault. I forgot we needed to record an intro for this and uh, we're doing it on Tuesday afternoon before the bridge. So. Uh, that, that that one's on me. Bully! Yeah. Well, and plus, I, I think you were saying before we hit record that you just don't like Lee that much, so yeah. that's fine. You know, I think uh, yeah. that uh, explains that. There's a lot of hate in your heart, Kinger. Yeah, it's a yeah. 15-year friendship that was all set up for this moment. So. <laughs> that's right. It all comes crashing down. That's right. Now, we, uh, we, we are putting, this is going to be a best of the Say That podcast. We're going to do another trip Ooh. to the Bible Nerdatorium. Break down some, ah. some questions folks have written in about Bible verses and uh, kind of getting, we're going to get in some Greek. Ah. We're going to do some exegeting. Ooh. It's going to get hardcore. Now, we're doing that because um, it's, it's the beginning of summer and uh, we've all been traveling in ways that uh, just didn't let the, uh, didn't let the uh, old recording schedule link up. So we'll be back next week with a normal. You know, normal. Well, it's no- normal for us. Sure. Normal. Probably. Normal's not the right word. A regularly scheduled, say that podcast. But we have had trials, travails. We've had, you know, uh, Jed and his wife, Hallie, were traveling to see some family very selfishly. Uh-huh. Um, Glenn was selfishly taking a regular scheduled sabbatical, so he didn't, and I quote, murder all of you. Right. Which is kind of the opposite of selfish, but I'm choosing to read that through the lens of selfish. I've been, I've been watching baseball amongst very, um, just concerningly earnest Midwesterners. So we've all had stuff. Right. But only one of those things has risen to the point of an emergency. Oh my goodness. Is that an emergency? It is an emergency. It is an emergency that came to, t- came to me via the form of textual message. Ah. It's from uh, Jed's wife. The, he and, uh, she and Jed are staying at the, one of the Airbnbs, I believe. Mm. And, uh, you know, people leave out, yeah, you've well, got board games and DVDs. Just leave it all out. Right. And we were, uh, I won't mention what part of the country they were in, but you're going to be able to guess. The Bible Belt. <laughs> because these, these, I'm sure, nice people had left out some entertainment options for the brewers. Oh. And it's almost as if they were tailor-made for the people who are going to be coming. So, so they're staying in the place, yep. and it's like, hey, in case you are just... Uh, don't have anything else to do. Sure. Yeah, you, know, you get a long drive. Maybe yeah. you, know, you don't want to go out for dinner. You can order in. You just right. rather watch a movie. We'll just leave this out. Oh, okay. It's a nice thought. Yeah. And you think, but you think, you know, maybe you want to, you don't want to assume people's tastes. Maybe right. you'd want to do something nice middle of the road. Maybe a couple of Marvel movies or yeah. you know, nice, yeah. you know, middle of the road kind of you know, Julia Roberts style romantic comedy uh-huh. or, you know, you know DV, a box set of Parks and Rec. You know, what do yeah, people yeah, like? Sure. Yeah. Uh, these people maybe a king's speech absolutely Ooh, oh, classy who 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 wouldn't like that absolutely. it's charming yeah 
uh, that's not the route these people went. The also the other thing you can go is just pick a real niche and just hope. <laughs> hope that either yeah. this is their thing and they'll like it, or they'll have no idea what this is. Right. What you don't want is they will immediately recognize this and send it in a group text to all their friends to mock it. Yes. Right, right. And that's what happened with the triple feature three DVD set of Fireproof Facing the Giants and a Christian movie we had not heard of and just had to look up, Flywheel. Yeah. Flywheel. So, Jed, how are the movies? Well, here's... I assume, I assume there's a triple feature. Here's the thing is they... Uh, the, we did not watch the movies, but... Uh, I'll tell you a couple things. They had a on the wall. They were this is a we were in an area that's in the Bible Belt, but also a, kind of an artsy area. Uh-huh. And so they they were trying to go for an artsy kind of thing. Ah. So they had one of the things on on the wall was a um, uh, you know like a hand calligraphy kind of thing, and the text was the first verse of the hymn "Come Thou Found of Every Blessing." Uh-huh. Oh. Oh. So this is the thing. You're kind of trying to be Christian at us. Right. That's that's what we've got going on. And what I want to know is, is this your idea of evangelism? <laughs> yeah. You're uh-huh. saying this is a this is a pastor who's ringing this off on the side, and that decoration's coming out of the outreach budget. I'm wondering. I'm I'm certainly I'm putting it out for right. uh, review. Is it possible that's what we're dealing you're with? You're saying here? it's like radiation. Yes, you know it's like it's soaking into you when you're around it too much. <laughs> like you know, don't don't set your phone in your lap or you'll go sterile. That kind of thing. We believe in salvation via osmosis. Well, right. it's an interesting point, and I think the the other interesting way we could take this is if you were going to set up the right. the Airbnb for outreach, right? What could you do? Now, there's two ways to go about this. One is the thought experiment of what could you do that would actually be helpful. Right. Which, interesting, useful, not particularly funny. The other is to, uh, we've all, I think, I know all this in the show, and I imagine significant amount of the listening audience has been at the camp or the retreat or the youth gathering where the overzealous speaker or small group leader or whatever went for the few died tonight. Yeah. Right. So could you set up an Airbnb that kind of forces that issue? <laughs> So the door's locked behind them. They're trapped. Well, yes. that's one way. Or just kind of exposed wiring. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Weird okay. colored smoke well, that's coming out of the yeah. vents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. you know, fire alarms that go off randomly. Yeah. Just And then, yeah, the fire alarm goes off at 4 a.m. They can't get out. They can't get out. The door's locked. Then you finally unlock it and step out and you say, right. how do you feel that would have gone for you? Okay, here, see, I like the horror movie element of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's where I think we, we, we need to go with this. Uh, now it is true that we actually watched the movie Fireproof. Yeah, well, parts of it. <laughs> we we, we began it. I don't know if we got all the way through it. Actually, has no, anyone no. ever? Yeah. I was wrong. We did. We finished it. It's right. God's not dead. We didn't finish God's not dead. Yeah, yeah. we we uh, I, I, wasn't it Halloween that we did yeah. Fireproof. Yeah. yeah. And we did sort of a mystery science three thousand right. style yeah. thing. If it, if for MST three K instead of watching the movie beforehand and preparing jokes, if it was more just harassing the screen. Yes. Right, right. But we we did we did watch it. But here's here's what I like. I don't know if you ever seen sort of this this horror movie staple where the 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 like the. The theme of it is it's a killer gnome, right? That's killing people. Yes. It eats their face and stuff. But the, the way uh, the bustling Norwegian, uh, scary movie industry, right? Right. So what happens though is the way the movie starts is like you just have an ordinary garden gnome, right? You know, and this like 
hey, I thought I left that over on the other side of the yard. That's right. That's it's right. like it has moved on its own. But the person's like, not suspicious. But you're telling the, the screen, like, no, he's going to eat your face. And then it's like, suddenly the gnome is like in the house. It's that's like on right. the kitchen table. Like, I know that's not right. But I guess maybe somebody else put it here. And I'll just put it back in the garden. And you're like screaming at the screen, no, he's coming to kill you. And all, you know, that kind of thing. And then uh, somewhere halfway through the movie, the gnome comes to light. And starts, kills everybody. Starts killing everybody. But, gnome played by Andy Circus. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Here's the thing. What if the actual DVD is doing that to Jed? Oh, goodness. Of Fireproof. Now, is the DVD coming to life, or is Kirk Cameron coming off the DVD cover <laughs> and harassing Jed? Well, it's, it could be just like a flying disc sure, sure. at your like, face. Like a drone. But it's like, right now, we're at the early part where it's like, you know, like, Jed's like mocking, like, mocking it like, <laughs> just... Just a stupid, but then it's like appearing everywhere he yeah, goes sure. and things. Yeah, and like it's stalking him and it's closing in on him. You know, it's a lot of staccato violin and close up on the, yeah. you know, the fireproof cover. Re, 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 like that. Yeah, Glenn, I love this, and in a big picture sense, I think I've been stalked by bad Christian media my entire life. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that's really the way this was always going to that's end. That's right. Eventually, you'll just die under an avalanche of fireproof DVDs. That's exactly right. That's how I'm going out. We've we've all wondered many times what would it be. That's it. That's yeah. the way uh, Jed uh, slides into eternity. Yeah. He died as he lived, overwhelmed by a metaphor for Christian culture. <laughs> <laughs> well, now here's here's the question. Not spoiler alert. Ooh, spoiler alert. That is like you left out some food. Yes, that's that's what okay. I'm talking about. Hey, E. coli is a real risk, people. That's Don't play real. with that. That's right. But non-food safety spoiler Wash your alert: lettuce, totally, thoroughly. Yeah, make sure it's not the romaine lettuce, which has been Romanian. I don't think that's what that means. Okay, but even if it was, that wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. But here's the key thing: is I like Romanians. Thank the you. the ending of the fireproof, yeah, the denouement, oh. if you will, oh. is he brings his wife. Um, they have not been nice to each other. Right. That's kind no. of the, the critical thing going on. It's the right. central conflict to this narrative. Yes. Oh. He brings his wife when she's, some, when she's sick some Chick-fil-A. Right. And that's like... I don't know if you know, that's a Christian company? They're closed on Sunday. I, I didn't know that. They also partnership yeah. with large, a large Georgia megachurch. You know what else got funded by a large Georgia megachurch? Fireproof! Well, that's a funny connection. Did you guys know they're closed on Sunday? I did. I, did you know that they're owned by Christians? They're closed on Sunday. Probably people haven't Did you heard know that, that they put one in the new NFL stadium in Atlanta? Whoopsie. Because <laughs> they play football on Sunday. Sundays. Sunday is the Lord's Day. Anyway, so the end of Fireproof is he brings her Chick-fil-A when she's sick. And, right. you know, now there's a ray of hope in their marriage. Right. Which I think is probably how all troubled marriages get helped. Right. Uh, peanut oil. What's up? With peanut oil? It's the miracle of peanut oil. There's a joke I'm not making. Good. But here's the key thing. End of fireproof, Chick-fil-A, solves yep. the marriage, bam, dunzo. What I'm wondering is, if I am being stalked by a demonically possessed, anthropomorphic, um, fireproof CD, yeah. if I eat Chick-fil-A, does that dispel it? Oh. Like, you know, garlic with a vampire. Right. Is, sure, is right. that how I solve it? Well, let me let me pitch a, an, an alternative idea to that. Hit me. Could one of the things in the kind of first act where if you something's not right with this right. gnome here right is whatever food you brought back to the airbnb would just turn into chick-fil-a Ooh, like, yeah. like i got this you know this you know really nice falafel you know, yeah a nice falafel you just turn around and 
boom, chicken biscuit. Right. <laughs> like first, at first, you're like, oh, I thought we, I thought we went to Wendy's. That's nice. Well, I like chicken biscuits. So that's good. Yeah. Then it gets nefarious. That's right. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. I brought home a porterhouse steak. <laughs> what? A market salad with light vinaigrette? That's not right at all. <laughs> no, I, I think, I, I just want to, to, to track the thinking of. You know, you know. Let's face it. There, I think if we're going to be super, super nice and generous to the point of breaking with reality, there are some people who got a certain amount of good stuff out of fireproof. Sure, I think those people would also acknowledge this was not well acted, and or this, written. The the story was kind of uh, someone with about a fourteen year old level of understanding of how emotional dynamics work. There's no pizza, Glenn. Yeah, that's uh, there's that. That 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 doesn't kill it, but I'm just saying that's that's the reality of it. And if you're not saved and you're watching this movie, you're definitely not. <laughs> you're not like this is it. I have figured it out. Let me get some salvation. I I want to be get. I want to hang out with these kind of people. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's not uh, that's not the movie. Come thou fount of every Cameron. So if you are a say that listener. And you're being stalked really by any form of Christian media, sure. but particularly by Fireproof, the DVD, because it wasn't the Blu-ray. No. Right. It was it was the DVD. Well, you, if, if we can give them credit for one thing, it's don't invest the money in getting the Fireproof Blu-ray. That's what I'm saying. If you're being stalked, we want to hear your story. Sure. Because we right. believe this may be a global phenomenon of the Fireproof demon. Right. I can't imagine fireproof existing in any country other than America. Well, there is that. No, you know, this is a, this is the thing. As we're wrapping up here, sure, this is the thing. I don't know if you've seen this, but it, there are in other countries, uh, other parts of the the planet. There, I'm aware they have uh, uh, they sort of get away with copyright stuff because it's kind of so small of a market it doesn't mm-hmm. get out. So that like there are versions of Superman that are just full on Superman, but sure, it's, the classic you know, Indian Spider Man, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So just the idea that somewhere there's a, <laughs> there's a fireproof that's like, but with the sweaters and everything, yeah, yeah everybody's got a sweater on and a thing. There's there's a pizza, whatever and, the local chicken restaurant, right? Is. Exactly right, and it's and it, and somehow it's just it's so much worse that it comes around and it's better somehow, yeah. you know. So uh, I think I think we anybody who listens to this that lives overseas and wants to make a version of pri- fireproof <laughs> with the people of your land, sure, yes, franchise then, it, French, and then put that on the YouTube's. Man, would we be happy with it's that? It's true. Sure, we'll promote it. And with that, I declare emergency off. We'll take you to the best of the Bible nerd tour. We're going to tell you the song this week. All the way at the end, it is by our friends in the Deacons Division. This includes one of our bridge attendees doing some rapping. Oh, very mm. cool. It, we'll take out that at the very end, and we'll see you next week for a regular episode. Goodbye. Matthew seven twenty one to 23 is a troubling passage. Could we be doing all this stuff for Jesus without really knowing Jesus? Would you please elaborate on the meaning of this passage and what it calls us to do? I got caught unaware, so I didn't pull it up, but basically Matthew 7, 21, 23, you probably heard it, is where Jesus says, not all who cry out to me, Lord, Lord, will get into heaven, essentially. And Glenn, why don't you start us off? Yeah, I can. Uh, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, 
starting with verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Um, It's very simple to understand what this verse is saying. Uh, it's, uh, it's, It's hard to get a hold of it. Uh, only if you don't want to. Uh, the reason why uh, people don't want to get a hold of this is because uh, what he's saying here is if you are a cultural Christian, that is, you're participating in the life of the church, and your personal one-on-one relationship with God uh, lacks a, a vitality and an honesty and an intimacy uh, and, and a, a realness to it, uh, then uh, this kind of verse should get your attention. Uh, the idea that people can go to church and put money in the plate and be a deacon and can be an elder and can uh, heal people and do all sorts of amazing, miraculous things to us, that's someone who has utterly arrived. And to us, we look at that and say, This must be the holiest person in the world because they can heal people and cast out demons and and be a pastor and preach all these amazing words and all of that. Uh, But from Jesus's viewpoint is, do I know this guy? Yeah. And for us, it's an interesting way. We love hearing it put that way because we work with guys in the neighborhood. Everything in the neighborhood, in in, in an inner city neighborhood, is about introduction and who you know. Mm. Um, and it's that sense of, hey, I don't know you. You don't belong in this neighborhood. Well, you know, whatever. You know, that's that's an. Yeah, enemy. I don't know you is a bad sense that's to hear a, in the neighborhood. Very, very bad. Uh, if it's, uh, yeah, I know this guy. He's a man of God. He's a good brother. Then you, you don't have anything at all to worry about in those kind of neighborhoods. So, for us, that sense of being known and how you're known is everything. You know, and I love this verse because the thing is, there, I, I don't. Um, cast out demons in in my daily life. I don't uh, heal people as part of my everyday weekly routine. Uh, I am, uh, I, I I might even not be, uh, the, 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 the most Christian looking person you've ever seen. And they don't sound super Christian. I'm not a, 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 an advanced scholar of Christianly things and all that. But the thing is, if you ask Jesus, if he knows me, Jesus would say, yes, I know that guy. Um, he might say he's been kind of a pain in the behind and it's been a long, <laughs> rough journey and he's talking to me a lot and he, you know, and it's been, you know, it's been messy and bumpy and crazy and it's, we've taken a long, hard road with a lot of that, but oh yeah, I know him. I've been dealing with that guy. You know, we're, we've been interfacing and interacting a lot here um uh, so the the idea that that from jesus's point of view he's trying to say that person even with all the messy stuff uh, is uh theologically and 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 uh, uh spiritually more advanced in their relationship with god 
than someone who does all the cultural Christian stuff, goes through all the motions, does all the ceremonies, does all these amazing miracles and whatever else. If that person doesn't have that personal, intimate relationship with God, they haven't started that journey yet at all. Yeah, it's absolutely right. One of the things that's clearly going on in this um, passage is a warning, and that's probably why it kind of winds people up so much, right, Lee? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I would say on this is, if you actually care about the fact that you are somebody that Jesus knows, you're probably okay on this warning. Um, one of the things that you find a lot, and I love that Glenn is calling it, you know, this cultural Christian. One of the things you find a lot in Christian culture is that there are people who that there are people who want to make sure not they want to make sure in their own heart that they really know Jesus. They want to make sure that you all know who they are. That's right. the thing that they're really concerned about is how many people know my name and how many people know that I'm awesome at this thing. I think this is the kind of thing that Jesus is aiming at when he talks. I mean, this is the the stuff that he's talking about is really sensational stuff. When you you know, if you hang around enough different kinds of Christians long enough, you're going to meet people who are really quick to tell you all the sensational stuff that they do for the kingdom of God. But the question is, um, do they, in their own heart, in their own kind of private moments, are they are they motivated by a desire to know Jesus more, by a desire to 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 serve Him and love Him and know Him in that way, or is this really about all of us knowing how awesome they are. If your heartbeat on this thing is, wow, I've never seen this verse before, but like, I really love Jesus and I want to serve him. And, and so how do I know if I'm in there? Guess what? Your heart's in the right place. Um, you can, you can feel pretty confident that, that, that you have sidestepped the warning that we're talking about here. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to grow in him, if you want to serve him, you know, it, it might even be that you wind up doing some pretty awesome stuff in the kingdom, but your motivation is, I love him, I'm thankful for him, I'm thankful for what he's done in my life, I just want to serve him, and I want to see other people, I want to help other people, you know, and you know, and out of the love that he has for me and that I have for him. Whatever, whatever actions come out of that, that's coming out of the right motivation, which is, I want to know him, not, I want everybody to know me. That's absolutely right. One of the things that's going on in this passage is it's people kind of um, doing impressive things, just saying they're doing it for Jesus. You probably weren't doing it for him if you didn't know him. So, Jed, can you talk about that aspect of you have to ask God before you can know you're doing something for God? Mm, Man, that's a good insight. When you do something— Let's look at a different relationship for a second. Let's say that you're that you're married, and um, you know, actually, Valentine's Day is coming up. I guess this is going to come out maybe a week before Valentine's Day. You're married. You got a girlfriend. Um, there's two options. Hopefully, only one of those. Hope <laughs> you actually you really only want to have one at a time. That's that's key. But you've got one of those, not both. Only one. But you say you got two options. Now you can. You can get the kind of gift for your girlfriend or or wife that you think is super, super great, or you can talk to your girlfriend and say, what kind of gift would you enjoy receiving? These are two very, very, very different things. Um, You, it, it turns out it's possible to be incredibly insulting when you give someone a gift 
because you give something that has n- nothing to do with them as a person. Um, it, it's it's a clear statement of I do not know you at all. I think we've most of us have had the experience of the distant aunt or uncle or whatever that that sent some kind of gift, you know, and it's it's the fuzzy pink pajamas or whatever that just we would never wear in a million years. And there's a clear statement in that moment of this person does not know who I am. Um, you know, I mean, on some level, I'm appreciative for the gesture, I, I guess, but they they don't know me. That's completely different from someone who knows you. They know who you are. They have a relationship. And out of that, they're expressing that love in the form of a gift. Here's how this relates to this God stuff, and it's, it's what Matt was describing. Um, doing things for God and doing things God has asked you to do are two completely, completely different things. Um, they, they are not the same, and they are actually uh, – they don't overlap really at, at all. You can go and do your best guess as to what you think a godly kind of thing to do would be and miss by a million miles what God is actually looking for you to do. The good news is you can talk to God and get to know him and ask, what, what do you want me to do? You know, what, what, and not just in a big lifelong way, but what are you looking for me to do this year? What are you looking for me to do this month? When you look around at a lot of, as Glenn is describing, cultural Christianity, you see stuff that has all the hallmarks of people doing things in God's name without ever asking him what he thinks about any of it. Um, of, Hello. I hate this group of people who didn't do anything to me because I think Jesus wants me to hate them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. They they never actually consulted with God. I think when you when you get in the habit of you know learning to listen to the Lord, and again that's through prayer, that's through the Scriptures, that's through wise counsel from other believers. I think you regularly find that what God's looking for may have. Be very different from what your best guess would have been, and that's actually a, a, a good sign. But I think when we go purely on just here's what I think it should be, I figure you know I figure my wife will love this. I'm just going to go with that. At at a certain point, if we're not getting to know the person involved, we can't possibly hope to do things that would please them. That's a great point, and there's a, there's an order of operations to those things there. Where to back to Lee's point. You know, let's just say big hypothetical example. Somebody decided, I'm going to start a church for Jesus. Yeah. I bet Jesus likes big stuff. I'm going to start me a big church. And I'm going to get real famous and write some books and make a blue ton of money on personal speaking appearances, you know, for Jesus. Mm -hmm. Ironically, Jesus' name isn't actually on that giant billboard. That would be me. Mm -hmm. And I'm keeping a lot more of this money than I'm giving to Jesusy things, but, you know, it's all it's all in there. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want people to misunderstand, cultural Christianity is can be one of those buzzwords for kind of a, um, a urinating contest mm-hmm. over holiness of, oh, well, you, did, you know, people only show up to church at Easter and Christmas. Culture, that's not what we mean by cultural Christianity. By cultural Christianity, we mean embracing the Christian bookstore version of things, yeah. mm-hmm. which has no, doesn't really have anything to do with the actual gospel. It's all kind of secondhand flavor of the month stuff. And that's not what's going on. And Glenn, I'd love you to get to close out with talking about this. There's a very similar verse uh, conversation that happens in Matthew 25. And mm-hmm. there we might find some hints. We, As we've talked about so far, what it isn't, I think we can get some clear hints of what it is. What happens in Matthew 25 is Jesus is given a very similar, he says, this is a conversation that happened at the end of the world. Is there going to be some people who come to me and I'm going to embrace them 
and call them brother and welcome them to the kingdom. And they're going to think about that and say, what did we do to get that? Because I don't feel like I did everything right. And he's going to say, there are poor people and prisoners and lonely people and hungry people. And you fed them and clothed them and mm-hmm. visited them in my name. That's what you did to me. So now we're good. Then there's going to be this other group of people. And right. Jesus is going to say, very similar, away from me, for I never knew you. Mm-hmm. And they're going to say, but what what went wrong? When did we not do these things for you? And say, there are poor people everywhere. You didn't do anything for them. Right. Probably because that doesn't seem very impressive, people who run mega churches who don't do things for poor people. But, Glenn, can you talk about that idea of there are, as Jed pointed out, it, individually there's a will for God's life, but there are some guidelines in the Bible we can be sure on. Absolutely right. I, I don't. I, I don't think there's uh, any. I don't think we need to have any kind of paranoia, uh, so to speak. Of am I being Christian enough? Yeah, this isn't a puzzle. Not at all. And um, in fact, I think it's just the opposite in the sense that the Lord is saying, um, uh, uh, if you are seeking an authentic relationship with me, I will know you. Right. Yeah. And you will know me, yeah. and that'll be fine. I, I I want it on my end. If you if you if any small part of your brain says I want a real authentic relationship with the, with God right now, you there it's done. You are you have arrived there. All you've leapfrogged everything he's talking about here. But there's a couple of things too. A couple of problems with this. One small problem is if 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 you go to certain churches, let's say, and you listen to the way the praise and worship is done. Um, I've gone to churches where the praise and worship leader appears to be pleading with God for God to hear their prayers. Yeah. Please, Lord, oh, and we just, we want to call out to you. We're, we're begging that you hear our voice. We, we're yearning and longing that you will come to the service and be here and dwell. And wherever two or three are gathered in your name, Lord, we're just asking for your presence to be with us. With you. Now, if you've ever prayed this prayer, just you and God, and you're paying any kind of attention, eventually God will say, enough already, I'm here, what, what, whatever. What else? Move on. I'm here. I've Enough opened the door. Already. Stop knocking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, this, I, you know, I was already here. We were only waiting for you. So let's do this, you know. And so now we're, you know, and believe me, you know him and he knows you at that moment. You just discovered something about God's character is, yes, yes, okay. Like, you know, you don't, you don't have to beg because I love you and I'm here. So that means when I hear that guy lead, leading praise and worship, I'm thinking... He's he sounds super Christian. In fact, he's turning it up because he thinks this is what's like super, 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 super Christian. But I, I think he's telling me a whole lot about what he doesn't yeah. know about our relationship with the Lord. I feel like, as, as Lee and some of these other brothers are talking about, I'm almost competing with that mentality to yeah. try and show I can be that kind of Christian when, in fact, they're showing me this uh, this guy doesn't quite get it. The other thing that's going on here, and I think this is really telling, really interesting, is that you can get into a place where you feel really kind of overwhelmed about the sin in your life, and you can even feel overwhelmed overwhelmed about how tempted you are towards sin. You haven't even done it yet, but you just desire it, and it just it just freaks you out that you you want that wrong thing so badly. And the guilt of that and the shame of that just drives you nuts. 
And so you say, I'm going to read my Bible for 12 hours, and I'm going to listen to this praise and worship, and I'm going to go to church every single day, and, and I'm going to listen to the guy lead worship, and I'm going to go, oh, yes, Lord, come clear our prayers, whatever. and I'm going to really invest myself in this um, this uh, uh, the the the, surra- the cultural surroundings, the, the the music and the the preaching and whatever, because I'm not worthy to just go and stand before God. Yeah. So I'm doing this instead. I, it's like I'm in God's uh, waiting room with this. I, it's like I'm in. in uh, uh, the, I, I can't go into the 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 main uh, throne room. So I'm kind of in the on the back porch with all these other people, yeah. with all of this uh, rigmarole, and this is about as good as I can do. And if I do this 100%, then I'm probably going to be on good terms. And a verse like this kind of blows that uh-huh. up and yeah. says, no, go deal with God. If that's where you're at, here's the thing, is God is just infinitely merciful, right. infinitely understanding, infinitely forgiving, Go to him directly. Have that intimacy. Don't be bound by fear in that. Uh, don't settle for the trappings of, Christ, of, of what you think a, a Christian life might be, but go for the, the relationship. I'm worried about my situation. Does First Timothy 5, 3, and 4 mean that I should not go to university in order to go back home and take care of my widowed mother? Does that mean I have to live with my mom for the rest of her life in order to take care of her? I will admit that that does damage my pride and ambitions. I feel like I'm wasting my life because I could be having a nice career or pursuing a degree, but I also don't want to be disobedient to God or to be seen as worse than an unbeliever. And before I throw this to Lee, I'm going to go ahead and read this verse just for all on the same page. This is 1 Timothy 5, verse 3 and 4, and I'm reading out of the NIV. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. And uh, Lee, why don't you start us off here? Uh, I will. You know, one of the things that's funny, and thanks for writing this in, um, uh, we appreciate questions like this, although it is a, it, it's a difficult medium to answer some of the questions that we get because... This is the kind of thing that I know in my work and, and these guys, these other guys do on the show as well, that we do a lot of our work in one-on-one conversations. Yeah. And in a one-on-one conversation, we could have a back and forth about, well, tell me what the situation is with your mom and tell me what her health is like and tell me what um, is going on in her life right now. In some ways, I don't have enough information to answer your question about what you should do. Uh, because, I, you know, as soon as I see your question, which is a great question, but I have a lot of questions myself. I have questions like, well, how, you know, what is your mom's health situation? How old is she? Like, if you're if you're the age where you're just now considering going to university, for most people, most people's moms, if you're university age, are not to the age where they need round-the-clock care. So does your mom have, I mean, you know, is she still driving? Does she have friends? Does she have a church and that kind of stuff? Uh, You know, in other words, taking care, caring for your mom could mean a lot of different things. For me, you know, I, I was out of college, you know, 14 years ago, 
but still, my parents are still at an age where they're very active. They have their own lives and their own cities, and caring for them means, you know, visiting when we can, but we, you know, write letters, have the weekly phone call, all that kind of stuff, catch up, and that's what taking care of, of them means. You know, it, it could be that your mom has money coming in from Social Security from your dad or, or whatever. There could be a lot of very specific things that we don't really know in order to answer this question. So in order to kind of figure out what to do without being able to have the one-on-one back and forth, which is what we really need to do, and why I hope that you have somebody, a mentor or a pastor or somebody that you can talk to there in your town who knows your situation, without being able to do that, the thing that we would do is kind of zoom out and say, when you're looking at a situation like this, and there seems to be this verse that like, is this talking about me? And what do I need to do? Am I worse than a non-believer or something like that? Is, is, you know, if I want to go to university, does that mean I'm an ambitious, prideful person? What we can do is we can knock some of that stuff out of the way and say, it's not prideful or ambitious to say, I want to go to college. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. The real question that we want to look at is, in your individual relationship with the Lord— have you taken this situation to him and and prayed this thing through? Mm, like mm-hmm. if you've got a really clear like if you've gotten a really clear feeling from Jesus, I want you to move into your mom's house and take care of her. If you've gotten that really clear thing and you're like I just can't do it. Well, that's something that we need to figure out. That's that's then we want to figure out okay, where is this university thing in the middle of that? Is there any way we can do some online courses at the same time? Whatever, whatever that could be. But if you don't have that if in other words, if you know there's something Jesus is asking you to do and you're saying, "I absolutely want to run in the opposite direction." Well, that's kind of what you're what, you know, you're talking about with these verses. But my sense is that's probably not where you are. My sense is you probably, we, we may not have kind of prayed this thing through or gotten a real leading from the Lord on this. And, and there are a lot of really specific stuff. And, and like these guys said, you can hit us back on this. Come back and write the question again. Give us some more details and stuff like that. But the real question is, do we know what the Lord is calling you to do? And um, because there are tons of ways that you can care for your mom without moving in and becoming a primary caregiver. I think that's where I'd start on this. I think you're absolutely right, and I think Lee brings up some a really good point when looking at a lot of verses in the Bible, with this one particularly, which is um, context and what it actually means. Can you pick some more of that up for us, Glenn? Yeah, the, the, this verse uh, is about helping widows in need, and, and it's referencing physical need. Uh, as Lee's pointing out, I think uh, we have the question, uh, is, is your mom in some sort of uh, physical or financial need? Is she unable to pay her rent? Is she unable to keep herself fed physically and so forth. Uh, if if that's a problem, then yeah, this is a situation where you need to be thinking about what can I do to help my mom out? Uh, I think probably going to college and getting a degree and a really good job might be a really good way of helping her out. So I, I don't and know. It's that really that, more uh, of a long-term plan. Yeah, it's it may take a while for that to kick in. But uh, you know, I I don't I don't think those are exclusive to one another. So I, I'm not sure uh, I, I at all you know kind of buy into that. But I think there is one thing that that you may be experiencing here 
you know, I think in our walk, we we say to God uh, when we accept salvation, we say, "Lord, I'm giving myself to you completely. I'm 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 yielding myself. I'm I belong to you now. Uh, I become uh, your." your servant, and that's my whole life is being a servant of God. But we recognize as we grow in our faith that there are areas of our life that we really haven't surrendered to God yet. And uh, so there's, uh, you know, the, anal- the analogy you'll hear a lot of pastors give is, is different rooms in the house, you know, and we're going to allow God to come in and have his way and be in charge of different areas of the house, different parts of our lives. Here's the thing, is you had this moment where you thought maybe God would say, forget about college and having a career in your ambitions, and as you put it, and so forth. Maybe I would ask for that to, to not happen. And sort of that, that uh, the, 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 sort of the shock waves that sent through you uh, maybe is a wake-up call, but in a very good way. I mean, uh, uh, if you're a rich person, God may tell you, sell all you have, give it to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. And, you know, that's meant to be like, oh, no, I sure. didn't have, I don't want that. At, I'm not going to do, this is not what let, I signed let, up let for. Let me just counter off you there, God. <laughs> yeah. How about Anything but that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's the Lord has a way of, of picking the one thing we least want to surrender to him and say, that's the main thing that I want right there. He has a way of giving that back to us in, 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 in a certain kind of sense. But it, it may be a, a sort of a wake-up call that the Lord is, is putting into your life of saying uh, we, uh, that if you're in a position where you're not trusting him with all of it, those areas where you are in control, you are making the decisions, and you're not getting wisdom, you're not receiving that direction from him, that stuff, you're not going to be happy in that. Yeah. It's not, you're not going to be fulfilled in it. And yeah. it's not going to maybe turn out the way that you hope it would. So God in his mercy and his love will tell you, uh, give that to me and let me tell you what yeah. I want to do with that. And that will work out well for you. It work, will work out better for you. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that you have a valid concern in terms of needing to not go to school. But, you know, I, I do think the sort of the level of reaction that this got within you is, uh, is an indicator. And, I, and again, I, I want to land on this. That's a positive thing uh, in a sense that, that, uh, that you were able to recognize that, that you're able to ask us about it. Uh, you want to be mindful of that, and you you want to have those moments like, "Whoa, I that that's kind of like scary to think about giving God control of that." That means I haven't done it. Means I need to do it. Means you know whatever. Yeah. So I I think that's that's the a, a, a possible takeaway on this. I think that's a really good point. One other aspect of this I'd like to for Jed to take a look at is. Um, there's a possibility if you just kind of read this verse and it spooked you because your mom's a widow and you want to make sure you're doing anything. Something that unfortunately also happens sometimes is maybe we, you did something your mother didn't want you to do and mm-hmm. got a, well, you know, the Bible says. Yeah. So <clears throat> the Bible is very clear in this issue that, you know, you should look after uh, widows and orphans in need. Um, but the, we also know that the Bible doesn't ever want you to be in an abusive, manipulative situation. So, Chad, maybe if you take a look at 
what to do when your family's trying to kind of Bible at you with this kind of stuff? And that's a good question, man. And um, I know this is a stressful situation. We're, we're praying you up and, and we believe in you. I think what's interesting, because I, I think it bridges together, Matt, what you're asking about the manipulative family and what Glenn is pointing to um, is it's easy in these situations in a positive sense to lose what you actually want in a good sense. In, in other words, the manipulative family is all about what they want. Um, I'm, I am, here's a thing I want, and I'm going to strong arm you in an emotional sense into doing that. If that's quoting the Bible, that's fine. I mean, literally I've had family members call and quote, uh, Bible verses on my voicemail <laughs> sure. uh, to try wow. and tell me I had to do things. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's classy right there. Um, you know, thou shalt come to Thanksgiving and thou shalt bring stuffing. Woo! Um, here I assume it was in that voice. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the thing is, you know, the manipulation is all about what, what they want. The funny thing is part of what Glenn's pointing to with kind of almost panicked reaction is we get that panicked reaction in general when there's something we feel we need. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have this, my life would suck, but that's different from wanting it. Right. In fact, the funny thing is anything you need, by definition, you can't enjoy. Right. You, you yeah. can't right. you can't just want it in a simple positive way. I think what happens, um, darling, is that we get in a way of figuring God probably wants me to have a crappy life. Probably the the mm. thing yeah, that, that's really holy. It's super holy. God wants me to have a miserable, terrible life where I'm miserable and I hate everything. Because he loves me. Because he loves me in his mercy. Um, and it will be to his glory the way I suffer all day, every day. Um, and then family members have a way of coming along saying, you know, you're right. And I can break down the specifics of the miserable life that God has for you. I think... Part of the panic, and, and it feels like the best word for what you're describing, I think part of the panic it sounds like you're feeling is maybe you've had in your brain a sense of there's a point of escape. Maybe you did grow up in a bit of a manipulative family, and there's a point of escape where I won't have to be around. These, I can go do my own thing. I can live my own life at long last. I felt that way. Now, maybe mm -hmm. that's not true for you. That's definitely true for me. <clears throat> and there's a moment where you look at the Bible and it looks like maybe there's a loophole where God's going to tell you you can't do that. Right. Um, and that is freaking you all the way out. And it, it would, if I were you, freak me all the way out too. I think the thing we really want to look at in that moment is why are you so convinced God wants you to be miserable? Right. Uh, where Where is that coming from? The idea that God has just a crappy, unsatisfying life for you, that's in direct contradiction to everything Jesus said. Jesus right, said, right. I have come that you have life and have it to the full. That, right, right. That's, that's a direct quote from your Savior. Right. Um, uh, uh, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about being, you know, the emotional martyr that's, well, I'm just, uh, just do the best I can just to try and keep everybody happy. It doesn't talk about that anywhere. That's, right. that's not Christian. I think if there's a wake-up call here, and I think there is, I think the wake-up call is to ask, why am I so determined to believe God wants me to have a miserable life? Um, why am I so determined to believe that God is going to find the things that might give me joy and then smash them with a hammer? Right. What, right why right, does right. that That's make right. sense in my head? In other words, in my own life, I have experienced many times God coming to me saying, this thing this way is not working. May I please have that for a while? 
Right. And then it comes back around in a way where it's awesome and I wouldn't have set it up that way and now it's really good. I've never once had God come to me and say, this thing is bringing you joy and I hate it. (laughs) Because that's... That's not how God works. I am threatened by your joy. Right. That's that is not how God works. God sounds like my mom. That's yeah. weird. Uh-huh. We may be getting warm. So, darling, that's the thing we want to encourage you to do is to ask why does the thought God wants me to be miserable? Why does that get so much purchase in your brain and make so much emotional sense to you? I think it's absolutely right. Picking up on that is we have to be wary of the way we read the Bible in the sense of. There's a lot in here that is getting added on. That may be getting added in your own brain. That may be getting added on something yeah. you've read or heard. Maybe getting added on by the uh, the family member there. There's also some things getting subtracted, as Glenn pointed out, and Glenn and Lee both did very important. This is talking about widows in need. Yeah. And widow was a very different thing in the days before Social Security yeah. and pensions That's and right. Medicaid. Mm. That, we're talking about if you're if you were a woman of a certain age and your husband died, you were just screwed. Right. If there's yeah. cultures in which Paul's writing to where women couldn't own property and couldn't have any income, and you were like, you were in the deep dookie, mm-hmm. uh, to quote the Greek. That's right. But so we're talking about widows in need. If your if your mother has a life insurance payment and a pension and all, she's not actually in need. Right. So she can play that widow status all she wants. And the other thing is here is it, the the only thing the verse says is take care of widows. This whole thing of, well, this means I can't go to college and I have to move in with her. That's that's not anywhere in the Bible. Yeah, That's all commentary. Yeah. And you can care for someone and still keep your boundaries up. We, taught, we work with uh, guys a lot in our line of work who we can't say this to them because you will get super punched in the mouth. Uh, their mother is a big part of the reason they have a lifelong addiction problem. Yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. right. There are a lot of that was modeled for them and that's not judging her. That's not because she's a bad truth, person, man. but that's just part of it. The, that home life was so toxic that heroin was a, seemed like a really good escape. If I got to be in this house. I got to have something that strong yeah. to make it palatable. Mm-hmm. So part of, um, recovery their own recovery is not being around their family for more than half an hour at a time they go to the barbecue and all of a sudden cousin such and such is getting drunk and they say well it's been nice seeing y'all i'm gonna head on out Mm -hmm. and that's holy that god they know god obviously wants them to be on their recovery they're clear about that this is where we talk a lot about the ways in which you get you can hear from the Lord, one of which is scripture. That's so true. One of which is wise counsel and one of which is kind of direct prayer. So this is a good exercise in that you take the scripture says, well, it says, sounds like first, this first Tim- Timothy here saying I should have to, I need to look after my mother. if She becomes a widow. Now the wise counsel and the prayer part are where you can go to someone like you've done this podcast and say, I'm pretty sure first Timothy means I have to move in with my mom forever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and people can go, Nope, you're adding that on. That's not what that says. Right. Here's what that says. And you can pray it up as Glenn and Jed have both pointed out this, some of this, a piece of this may be you being willing to let go of some ambitions you have in life. Do what the Lord tells you. That doesn't necessarily mean again, moving back in with your mother, right. Given some situations I've been in and around in my life, that sounds like that may be her interpretation yes, of this verse. Right. But all it says is care for. You can care for her by uh, getting her set up in some assisted living yep. or making sure her financials are in order so that she can afford to live on her own. Or There's right. a number of ways to do that and fully do what the Bible is telling you in a smart, boundary-having way that you can pray through and get advice on that are not 
this kind of nuclear option. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things to look at. We've got to be very clear about what the Bible is actually saying and then be very clear where the vagaries are in there, where we need some prayer and some wise counsel to kind of fill that out. And this is a pretty good example of that. All right, we're going to move on to our last question here. Hey, guys, I have a question for the podcast. Can you explain what Paul means by flesh and by spirit in Romans 8, 5 to 8? He, create, he seems to create a dichotomy between spirit and flesh, and it comes up a lot in that chapter. Thanks. Lee, why don't you walk us through the, the kind of Bible basics on this? Sure. Uh, thanks, Lauren, for the question. We appreciate you guys. And, uh, and you're right. It is something that he kind of keeps going on and on about in, in this little segment of this chapter. Romans 8 is cool. It's kind of like... Uh, it's kind of like a little handbook or manual for like your whole believing life. It's one of those chapters that if you know it, you can kind of help people walk through basically a lot of the stuff that they go through. It's kind of all in there. Um, and in this little segment that you're talking about in particular, he's trying to draw a line between, exactly as you're saying, he's making a dichotomy between people who know Jesus and people who don't. He he winds up talking about how uh, you can actually know if you're a child of God because the Spirit of God um, lets you know that you're one of his kids, gives you a, a, a desire inside your own heart to, to call him dad. And so he's making this kind of distinction. He's saying, this is what a life with God is like. Uh, and, and we'll draw a line between that and what a life without God is like. And so that's what the this term flesh, it's the Greek word sarxis. It's a, it, it basically just means like you on your own. It's, it's kind of you making it through your life without, you know, turning to God for any help, without turning to God for his wisdom, without turning to God for his resources. This is you doing things your way. And, and, <clears throat> And you see this kind of as, you know, in the context as you kind of go through this whole chapter. And, and I can tell you that, that when you really start to know and work with lost people, you see what Paul's talking about so much. I mean, so much of what I, so much of, you know, my work is, is, is working with folks who don't know the Lord and then watching them wake up to a life with God and, and come to know him and cross over the, the, the dichotomy that you're talking about. And it's so, you know, it's, it's so cool to see the difference in people who have, whose entire life is this, you know, the Sarxist thing, just this life without God in it, you know, just me on my own, just doing my thing. And a person who's, who's wrestling and trying to walk with God. Now, the one thing that's really interesting is when you flip over to like Galatians 5, Paul, the, the same dude, the same dude that wrote this is saying, I actually kind of have a tug of war in my own spirit between, you know, walk a heart that wants to walk with God and a heart that wants all the old stuff from when I didn't have God in my life at all. And, and, and I'm kind of going back and forth and I'm trying to win that battle, you know, on a daily basis, this little tug of war. And the difference there is that somebody who doesn't know the Lord, somebody who is walking in the flesh that they don't have that tug of war. There, there, is, no, there is no competition there. There's, this is a life without God's resources, without his wisdom, without uh, affection for him or anything like that. And so when you see people, even if they're screwing up a lot, even if their life looks messy and looks like it's, you know, it's out of bounds and all that kind of stuff in these areas or you know, some areas over here, whatever, 
when you see somebody wrestling and tugging and struggling with it, this that's a sign of life. That's a sign that they do have a life of the Spirit, that they're waging that tug of war, that they're trying to walk with Him. And so, uh, you know, and, and, and to be, you know, and I think that's all honest people, to be, you know, to be frank. And, and I know that's a tug of war that, that I'm still wrestling with, and, and you're going to see yourself and other folks that are honest wrestle with and while they're on the green side of the grass. But I think that's kind of what Paul is, is is lining out in this little segment. That's a really great introduction. And Glenn, can you pick us up kind of right there? And Lee gave us a really good introduction of kind of the, as Paul puts in this chapter, the people who are ruled by this flesh and how the different people who are ruled by the spirit. But what does that look like? Kind of that, uh, that struggle, a dichotomy as Lauren puts it within believers. Well, I think the, the idea is, as Paul is saying, the flesh wants one thing and the spirit wants the other. So, the 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 uh, contrast to this uh, Sark's uh, thing of of the flesh is the spirit. That's pneuma is the Greek word there. And it's the same word that we use for stuff that's like if something's pneumatic, it's mm-hmm. driven by air. So it's this idea of something that you can feel but you can't see is sort of the the core idea behind that. And this is what's problematic for us is because that's there's part of us that is not physical. And that's weird for us. We think of our total selves as our physical being. You know, sure. There's part of you that's you uh, that's not physical. Uh, that's your spirit. Uh, the other thing that's confusing for us is we think we're basically good, and then bad things happen to us and sure. problems and pro- struggles and traffic and, and all those things, and then we do bad things. So you got to eliminate all your hangups and problems and habits and struggles and then you'd go back to being a good person. Uh, this verse is explained to us that's not at all how this works, that we have a part of us that's physical, a part of us that is spiritual, that's spirit that that's not physical. And he's saying your physical body wants certain things. You know, It desires to have sex. It desires to eat food. It desires to breathe and so on and so forth. That's what the, the flesh, and the flesh also... Uh, can uh, crave, uh, you know, um, you know, objects of desire, you know, a, a fancy car or whatever the, those kinds of things are, uh, you know, fancy physical objects. But the spirit desires other things. What's interesting, I think, for us as Christians is we're often not aware of the things that our spirit craves that it's maybe being starved of, mm-hmm. And how that affects us because we're not getting it. Our spirit, yeah. our spirit craves contact with God. If you don't mm-hmm. get it, you're starving to death in in a, in, a, in a way that, and you may be trying to fill that with things of the flesh. Mm-hmm. You're trying to do all kinds of flesh-based things to get that sense of peace and fulfillment that you have from being with God. Uh, we need uh, to have love. We need to receive love from God. We crave that in our spirit. Uh, we need the peace that he uh, provides. We need joy that he provides. These are spiritual things. They're not physical things. So all too often we see ourselves as physical and we try and apply a physical solution to everything. If I'm sad, I do something that makes me happy, but that's just doing a physical thing to bring about an emotional change. But spiritually, I'm in the same place. Mm-hmm. I'm, spiritually, I, if I'm hungry for joy, I need to go to God and receive joy in the Spirit, and then I have joy. 
Uh, I can do that whether I have enough money to buy something to make me emotionally happy. If I'm making that, that mm-hmm. you know, this yeah. is complicated stuff in in uh, in a way. Uh, but the other quick little thing that he's saying here is uh, to recognize you can't be righteous in your flesh. It doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. And the reason why that's important is because we spend a lot of time worrying about how much sin we might have in our flesh. In other words, <laughs> there's no way for me to um, satisfy my hunger in a righteous way. I can't eat in a really holy way or breathe in a really holy way or but you what know. if my prayer before the meal has many mm's? <laughs> yeah no now i can eat irresponsibly i mean, eat way too much and uh, mess up my physical health and that might slow me down from fulfilling my calling or those kinds of things obviously i can do a lot of uh sinful stuff and irresponsible stuff with the way i handle my sex life and stuff but there's no way for me to to make that flesh stuff be righteous. It doesn't doesn't work that way. Righteousness is something that flows out of my spiritual life. I need to nurture that. I need to enhance that. And that means taking the focus off of the flesh uh, and and, and not uh, sort of keeping score of what I'm doing in the flesh, but using a strength and an inspiration and a direction from uh, my spiritual existence to drive my physical body to fulfill my calling to do what I'm supposed to be mm-hmm. doing to be, mm-hmm. be doing righteous things. Yeah. So that's uh, it's again. I'm getting a lot in there, but that's that's how that works. I think it was really great. They covered a lot, and it, one of the things you did towards the end there was start to transition this into some more practical stuff, which is mm-hmm. really a smart thing to do with Bible verses. You're trying to understand what does this mean. Um, what does this mean for me a Mm. way to look at that is how do i live that out and jed can maybe take us a little further down that road i sure can Uh, it's a great question you've heard a lot of great stuff on it to summarize what you've heard both lee and glenn say and particularly if you're new to the faith if you're new to the bible bottom line is paul saying there's two sides of you there's a part that um really loves god if you're a christian there's a part Mm -hmm. that really loves god and wants to do what he wants there's a party that really doesn't love god and really doesn't want to do what he wants and you want to be careful and intentional about which part of yourself you're feeding and which part of yourself is driving the train. Yeah. Because you got both sides in you, and so you want to be careful. That's that's kind of the bottom line of, of what this passage is saying. I'm going to read you, and again, particularly if you're new in your faith, I'm going to read you this passage out of a translation called The Message. This is a really great translation. And when you find stuff in the Bible where you're like, man, I'm not sure I get that, it's a great idea to read that same passage in other translations. And right. The Message is a really good one to do that with. Here's what it says. And this uh, backs up, actually says a lot of the same things Glenn was saying just a minute ago. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. So let me pause there for a second. One of the things that we can do with a passage like this is use it as a barometer for saying, how am I doing in my life? Not in a guilt sense, not, mm-hmm. you know, am I, am I keeping the right rules, but just this is describing the kind of life God wants for me. It says God wants me to have a life that is open and spacious and free. It's clear that's the kind of life God wants for me. Mm-hmm. To what extent does my life feel that way? To what extent do I experience my life as open and spacious and free? Not as a guilt thing, not as maybe if I read more Bible, I'd feel more spacious. That's not what I mean. Just 
is that true? To what extent is that true for my life? Because it's not going to be 100% true for anybody. But just, you know, to what extent does that feel true? To the extent that it doesn't feel true, what can I change? What can I approach differently? What can I think about differently? And it gives us, I think, a clue in this passage of one of the things we can look at. The clue is, are there areas where I'm obsessing over myself? Are there areas where my focus is on my moral muscle and measuring that instead of the things God's simply calling me to do, instead of the adventure that God created me to live out? And therefore, if that's the struggle that I'm having, I'm not feeling free and open and spacious. I am just kind of focused on, you know, the checklist of moral obligations I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to fill. How do I shift that gear? How do I get out of putting all that focus on me and start putting it onto other people, start putting it onto loving people in Jesus' name? If I start getting involved in serving people in Jesus' name, does that take me to a place where I do begin to have more of an open and spacious and free life? And if I do start to have that experience of life that's more open and spacious and free, is that a sign that I'm headed in the right direction? And I think right. that's what this passage is saying, saying, yeah, there you're feeding your spirit. You're feeding mm-hmm. that part of you that is connected to the Lord, that part of you that wants to please him and serve him. So it's it's great stuff. And the more that we understand it and the more that we then turn it around to say, what does this mean for me in my life? It can really give us some great insights and some great directions on how to live that out in a practical sense. It's a lot of fantastic stuff on this. There's one of the things we really do like doing on the show, and we're super glad Lauren wrote on this, is there's a lot of stuff that is in the Bible that just comes off a little weird. Uh, if, especially if you didn't grow up in church, or if, as Jed's saying, if you, you know, I grew up in a church that used the NIV, and this one uses the ESV, and there's a lot of stuff that just, it all, and in, in this way, it kind of sounds like you should be able to suss it out. Yeah. Like, spirit and flesh okay i i understand that he's playing those off each other i kind of get it but as as you learn with these guys and you're hearing a lot of years of both uh walking with the lord and having to answer people's questions that drives you to uh seek a little deeper understanding on your own of uh, there's some stuff that it's just a little it's so different from our normal thought processes yeah. and anything else but once you get it in that you know you, you talk to somebody write us in and once you get that little, um, just that little bit of context for it, it's it's this Greek word, which means this, versus Greek word that means this, and here's it in another translation, and boom. This is a powerful thing. This can really change the oh, way you yeah. look at stuff. It's really a freeing thing, because one of the things you're hearing all these guys say, and especially what Jez reading there in the end, is one of the worst things you can do is just convince yourself that you are have or ever will get so holy that you just won't want to do bad stuff. Yeah. Right. Because mm-hmm. that's a fiction that will be crushed yes. pretty hard. And as we've all seen kind of in our uh, respective ministries, the people who are so shocked, it's, I wanted to have sex with this girl and I wasn't even married to her. And it just, can you believe it? Just it just blew apart oh, my whole uh, conception of myself and God and reality. And come on, man. Yeah. We've all got a flesh nature. It's no big deal. That's it's not that's, a big deal to Paul. It's not a big deal to us. That's what your flesh wants. That's that's how it is. It's, it, there's nothing righteous about it. That's totally right. And as you, it's a weird, somewhat counterintuitive thing sometimes with the Bible of really the more you get into it and the more you kind of, you see the details, you see, you see the big picture, all that stuff, it, the more free you feel on it. Yeah. Amen. All right. If you, it's when you just look at the, at the service and go, uh, spirit and flesh, I have flesh, I have flesh, do I have enough spirit? Uh, uh. And once you look at it and what he's actually saying, that's the real foundation we want to get going from. So no, there's definitely no such thing as a dumb question on this show, and especially on Bible stuff. There's no nothing doubt. so basic that you should be embarrassed to ask it. All right, so move on. Free to bust, I'm done with the mobs. Don't need the funds, the burden weighed tons. My life in. 
Tyler, I'm done wishing. I'm so bored with my vision. My squad looking out for God's wisdom. Looking up and looking down. Seeking God where he can be found. Full of grace, true coming down. Got ears to hear, so I hear the sound. Free the buns. I'm done wanting the mobs. Don't need the funds. The burden wave tons. My life hidden. The grace is form fitting. Jesus is bidding. Better than money getting. Time ain't wasted. New challenge facing. Full of Up to one who sent him.